Humans have long been attracted to the beauty of pearls. Before cultured pearls were invented, they were considered affordable only by the wealthy. The ancients in particular valued pearls. They came to be known as the queen of gems. Even the way they're formed is kind of intriguing, isn't it? Natural pearls, we're told, are formed when some irritant enters into the oyster or the clam, and then a defense mechanism is kicked in and is employed. The oyster coats the irritant with some substance again and again, and then that grows the pearl larger and it hardens and uh, it gets well-rounded and thus a pearl is made inside. There's a website called pearlsource.com. No, I didn't buy pearls this week or anything, but I was doing some reading. It points out that after many, many years of diving for pearls, divers have made natural pearls so rare, some say they are close to being becoming extinct. Therefore, they are hard to find on the ocean's surface these days. Because of this rarity, natural pearls are generally much more expensive than cultured pearls. So the rarest uh, and costliest pearls are those natural pearls, and even more so if they're large, if they're rounder, and if they're whiter, and they have no blemishes. And so they're valued that way. And pearls are beautiful. They are beautiful, especially when they adorn a lady's neck. Men like to buy their, their woman a, a, a necklace full of pearls or uh, a, a, some other piece of jewelry that has pearls in it. And that's beautiful. But we all recognize that um, as beautiful as pearls are, just like gold and silver and other things, they're part of this world and they have only so much value. Men in the world value it, but their value really won't last into eternity. Would you agree that this world is passing away and the things of this world are passing away? And if you never own a pearl, you can still have um, God's pearls of wisdom in your life. Indeed, the pearls of wisdom from God's Word are more valuable They carry more value because, to kind of borrow Paul's wording concerning godliness, they hold promise both for this life and also for the next life, the life to come, right? So God's Word teaches us wisdom, and we're going to call them pearls of wisdom this morning, and we're going to pass on those pearls of wisdom to our mothers, uh, all from God's Word. Really, the interesting thing about Scripture is all of Scripture is wisdom, all of Scripture contains teaching for parents. You don't have to go just to the parenting or the mothering sections of the Bible to learn something about how to be a better mother or father. All of the Word of God really instructs us in that, if it's read correctly. It all is a manual for being um, a godly person, and so we're going to see that. But I've selected four pearls of wisdom today from God's Word, four pearls of wisdom to adorn our mothers on this day that we celebrate their love and their sacrifices. Now, we're going to be going to selected passages today, so you're going to have to keep up with me, probably be going rather quickly. The first pearl of wisdom, pearl of wisdom number one, is this, that the mother's example is queen. Mother's technique is only princess. And what I mean by that is that your example is far more important than your parenting technique. And I want you to turn to the Old Testament for this, to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 9. We're not going to do a full exposition of it. I'm just going to point out a few things from the text. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. 
Here in this fifth book of Moses, Moses is recounting the law to the second generation of Israelites who survived in the wilderness. Their parents died off in the wilderness, you may remember. In this passage, which contains the famous Shema, the hearing, that is, Moses speaks to parents about their parenting, the Israelites' parenting responsibilities. In fact, this is such a central passage to uh, understanding uh, God's will. Jesus quotes this passage as containing the greatest commandment in all of the law of God. If you were to scour the law of God back and forth, you would land here and you realize this is the greatest commandment. If you're looking for a passage in the Bible that gets right to the heart of what being a godly father or a godly mother means that centers on the most important qualities of motherhood, then this Old Testament passage is it. Let's read it. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, we do not find the typical kind of parenting advice you would get in books today or in various kinds of uh, advice that is passed on to parents. Rather, we get right to the heart of what parenting is all about. You'll notice that um, there's not really a discussion here of the mother's creative abilities, although there's nothing wrong with that. There's just no discussion of that here. There's no teaching about the importance of instilling self-esteem into your children. There's no, there's no instruction about how will I motivate my teen to get up and go to work and finish his schoolwork. You won't find in Deuteronomy chapter 6 really any teaching about a child's happiness or his self-concept or his birth order or his superego, as some psychologists have said, or his need to bond with his mother or his emotional needs to meet. You don't find any of that here. What you will find is a pearl of precious value. You'll find the answers to your most central questions about parenting. What makes a good parent? What exactly do I need to do to be a good mother? What should my child's training be accomplishing? What must I focus on daily and work hard at it if I'm going to end up being a successful parent? This passage has it all. Most of what parents are being told today by the so-called parenting experts misses the mark about how to raise children the right way. Here we learn who you are as a mother is foundational to any parenting practice that you might think is crucial. This great Old Testament passage on parenting begins with, Hear, O Israel, be a good listener of God's word now. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. There's a confession and a belief that has to happen in the heart of a parent first before they can be the kind of parent God wants them to be. It shows belief and confession you yourself need to make. You need to believe in the one God. And with the New Testament revelation, you need to believe in his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He needs to be your Lord. You need to make that confession and have that in your heart before we even talk about how can I be a good mother. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Jesus said this is the greatest commandment in the Bible. That has to be on your heart. You yourself must have 
You must be endeared towards God. You must have a powerful loyalty to the things of God. That's what must move you. Otherwise, finding some technique to be a better parent, forget about it. This has to be in your heart. Only then does it even move on to what the preeminent practice of of imparting all of God's word to your children involves. First, your heart's loyalty and your affections must run and run rapidly towards God. God cannot just be a doctrine. God has to be in the heart. Then we can talk about parenting strategies. First things first as a parent. You got to get this. Your example is queen. Your practice is only princess. Have you ever noticed how little is directly said in the Bible, Old Testament or New Testament, about how to parent correctly? When the children say this, what should I say? What should I do? You don't find that. When they fight, how should I handle it? When they're bad, how should I spank them exactly? Two times? Three times? On the butt? On the back of the leg? Where do I get them? (laughs) Not really a lot about that. You want to search for all the little details. You wish it would say that. It doesn't. But people crave answers to those kinds of questions. So they go out and they lap up the latest book. What are they saying? What are the experts saying? This is what should be done. Susan and, I did, Susan and I did that when we were younger. We bought the books we read. We, we felt we were pretty ignorant. We needed to learn a few things. So we bought some books and we did some reading. But we scratched our head in a lot of the books that we read. We were like, is this really true? But now that our children are grown, as we look back and we listen to the comments our children are making about our parenting, and yes, if, if you haven't got to that stage yet, they're going to do that. And then we not only, not only listen to the comments they're making about our parenting, funny things they remember, by the way, but also who they've become. We realized that a lot of the details we angst about and we agonized over, should we do this this way or that way, really weren't all that important after all. What was important was they saw in front of them sincere Christians. They saw an example in front of them that they loved Christ, and when they didn't love Christ, they openly confessed their sin. They were genuine Christians in the home. Their example was real. That example mattered so much. It's not everything, but it mattered so much. It was the heavy thing inside them. Day after day, week after week, month after month, what they see, those little eyes really do absorb. And things I've long forgotten, they remember. Do you remember, Dad, when you did such and such? No, did I do that? I, I want to deny it, you know. Never happened. I don't remember it. I don't remember it that way. Didn't happen. But yeah, it probably did happen. You have to love the Lord in front of them. You have to hold to the right doctrine before them. We, we had to teach the word diligently, but we had to believe the word ourselves. We had to be excited about the word ourselves. Yes, we brought them to church, but when you break them back home, do you still believe that at home? Live a sincere and a consistent Christian life in front of the children. Speak the gospel of Jesus and live the gospel out in front of them. That is what they remember most, and that is what will shape them most. Do you want to be a good mother? Then be a great Christian woman who loves the Lord with all of her heart, who has the word of God on her heart and then teaches it diligently to her children. Nothing, listen, nothing takes the place of that. So many mothers, especially the younger mothers, but even mothers of teens or grandmothers, they focus on trying to perfect their parenting technique. Some even get into such an exacting approach to parenting, they have trouble getting along with any parent that doesn't do exactly the same things that they do. 
They don't want their kids even around other families, even in their own church, because they don't do the same things that they do. They don't practice exactly what they practice at their home. They don't follow all of the same rules that their home follows. They don't want them to do that because they'll mess up their parenting. Well, either their restrictions are too tight or everything has to be on a schedule or everyone has to speak to them in a certain way, do the right things. They're big into the minutia of parenting and take for granted the most important and weighty thing, and that is their heart and their example and their Christianity, which they see and hear loud and clear every day. God wants character first. Why do you think he even brings trials into our life? You know, children are uh, given to us as a blessing. Part of that blessing is to give us difficulty to drive more character into our life. God wants full devotion to him. Yes, he wants you teaching your children, and there is technique in that. Yes, he wants you praying for them. Yes, he wants you correcting them, and there is a proper way to do that and an improper way to do that. Yes, he wants you guiding them and shielding them from evil. Sometimes they need to be exposed. Sometimes they need to be shielded. There is wisdom in the Word of God from principles with that. But before you even get to any of that, before you start saying, well, how can I do this thing right? It's about you. Who are you? What's in your heart? Because you can't fake that. Oh, you can fake it on Sunday morning. You can't fake it Monday to Saturday at home. You can't. None of your skilled teaching or precise chastisement strategies are going to matter if you are not a faith-filled lover of Jesus Christ. If your character becomes spirit-filled, you won't have to worry as much about the little things. Did I do this right? Did I do that right? Oh, I I wish I'd read this book three years earlier. Don't worry about it. You're a spirit-filled person. That's what they see. I know parents who parented very differently. Their technique, their emphasis in the home was very different. But their kids are grown up, and guess what? Both sets of kids love Christ. How did that work out? Because they had the example. Do you see? That's the main thing. Yeah, but they did their discipline differently. Turned out okay. Yeah, but they, they did this different when the child was young. Turned out okay. Well, they dealt with their, team this, their teenager this way. Turned out okay. Why? Because they were okay. They were good, and that's the most important thing. Dr. MacArthur has a book, Successful Christian Parenting, and in it he writes, For many parents, the first step toward getting back on track must be a fresh commitment to the things of God for themselves, he writes. If our own priorities in life are askew, there's no hope of teaching our children what they need to learn. Parents, take inventory in your hearts. Do you thirst for God as the deer pants after the water? Or is your own life sending your children a message of hypocrisy and spiritual indifference? God's so important. God's so important. Why is he not important to you, Dad, Mom? There is great power in the example of faith before your children that nothing can replace. If you are angry around the house, griping and complaining, it won't matter when you open the Bible and try to teach them. Over time, they're going to learn to turn you off. If you go around in fear every time something changes in your life, you can't teach your children to trust the Lord. You're not trusting the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, Paul pointed out that Timothy's sincere faith first dwelt in his mother and his grandmother, Eunice and Lois. He got to see these women who evidently there was not a believing father in the home, and Timothy still not only came to Christ but became a great instrument in the hands of God as a pastor. Your growing relationship with Jesus Christ is watched every single day by tiny little eyes. 
and you can't fake it. You actually become a hindrance to your little ones from coming to God more than anybody else on the planet. Not so much because you spanked at the wrong time, not because you've gotten lax with your mealtime rules or you missed a nap time, but you neglected to apply God's word to your own life. You sat in sermon after sermon and you, you took notes or didn't take notes, but you just didn't apply it. You are now a stumbling block to your own children. You are now the instrument Satan wants to use because he loves hypocrites to lead your children away from God. Was not the famed Proverbs 31 woman a great example? She opens her mouth in wisdom, it says, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. Hard work, kindness, there it all is, right? Truth, wisdom. I would that you would spend more time polishing your soul than perfecting your parenting techniques. Concern yourself with personal godliness, saying no to your flesh, offering your body as a living sacrifice to God, coming to Sundays to worship with vigor. Have you ever looked at your face while you are worshiping? Probably not because there's no mirror in front of you. But the worship leaders up here look at your face. Your kids look at your face. Now, God, our Father, Thou art so great. Are you a worshiper of the one true and great and living God? Now, some days we're tired. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to put a phony kind of smile on your face and all the rest of that. Where's the vigor for God? You know what I mean? That has to be in you. That has to be inside of you if it's going to be gleaned from somebody else. Ladies, that kind of thing is contagious. That has gravitas. That carries weight. Mothers who have nice organizational charts for the home, that's a dime a dozen. Mothers who forgive from the heart, who speak to their children with humility, who endure trials with grace, that's precious in the sight of God. That's pearl number one. Pearl number two, mother's love must be learned. Mother's love must be learned. Let's turn to the New Testament and to the book of Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, one of the pastoral epistles. In Titus chapter 2, Paul is teaching Christians... They must learn to adorn the doctrine of God and the doctrine of Christ into their own lives. They must do more than profess to know God. There actually has to be something in their life that shows they know God. They must show their faith in the way that they live. He's writing to the uh, inhabitants of the island of Crete, and there were a lot of problems with these people, and that came into the church, and he, he talks about how they were lazy and this and that, and he's really, the, the, the book of Titus is, is, a, is a tough book, and it really exhorts them to do a lot of good deeds, to, to adorn themselves, dress themselves with the doctrine of God by the way they live. To do this, Paul has to address the duties and the character traits of different groups of people. He addresses the older men. He addresses the younger men. He addresses the older women. He addresses the younger women. He even addresses the slaves. And he says, this is the way, these are the character traits you need to adorn the doctrine of God where you are. He points out repeatedly that how Christians live will either bring glory to Christ or he's concerned that if they don't act properly, it will discredit the word of God. Notice that in Titus chapter 2 and in verse 4, he points out that the older women are needed to teach the younger women. And the first things that it talks about is to teach them to love their husbands and to love their who? 
their children. Now, we have to say that it is true that mothers do have a built-in love for their children. After all, she did carry the child in the womb, yes. She delivered him with all that pain into the world. They suck at her breasts. She watches over them at night. She protects them in public when there's any danger that's around. That kind of love does not usually need to be learned. Mommies have that. It's there from the beginning. But God's kind of love is not natural. It must be taught and caught. It takes time to learn to love the way God loves, both to love the husband, who can be a mess some days, and the children, who can really be a mess some days. The Thessalonians, Paul wrote, were, quote, taught by God to love one another. See, it takes teaching from God to learn to love. Young mothers have to learn to love their husbands and learn, and learn to love their children. It may seem strange, but it is a pearl of wisdom that one of the best ways to be a good mother is to be philandrus, that is, husband lovers, literally, is how it's translated. Most younger women in Roman society were married. It was the norm. And so her area of greatest input and influence was in her home. And love is a good way of summarizing the duties of the wife to the husband. It comes from the Greek verb phileo, a brotherly or familial kind of love. But it also emphasized commitment. It emphasized companionship. It emphasized pulling together toward a goal, mutual friendship. Love in the home has feeling. Love in the home has commonality. This, this love that um, is being talked about here in Titus 2 is not primarily a romantic love or an erotic love, but it's a love of service, a love of dedication. Does it take time to learn to do that? Of course it does. We read in our scripture reading, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 3, it says the sin nature naturally wants to be a lover of who? Self. Oh yeah, that's it. Big capital S there. Self. Me. Me and what I want. That has to come first. Well, you know, you're, you're like that as well. Young mothers, you're like that as well. True love is not felt. It, it comes with time. It comes with teaching. It comes with learning. Sometimes it comes with heartache. Young wives need to be trained by the older women to love even when they don't feel like it, to put self second, to put husband and children first. Laura gave an announcement this morning, and um, they were talking about the upcoming breakfast, but in a recent breakfast, she was teaching, Laura was teaching from this passage, and she gave some applications about how learning, what learning to love means, and I'm going to quote her here. A loving and mature sister will help the young woman to see the good qualities in her husband and how to appreciate him. She can also help her to understand the differences between men and women and not to have unrealistic expectations of her husband to meet all her needs. She can also help the young women recognize her selfish attitudes that are barriers to right relationships at home. She will also help a younger woman know how to train her children for righteousness, when to reprove, when to show grace. At times, both husbands and children are difficult to love. A supportive, mature woman can pray through those times of hardships with the younger women and give her practical advice how to love her husband and children through those unlovable or difficult times, end quote. That's true. There's a lot to learn about love. Love must be learned. It's not all natural. It's not all natural. Not God's kind of love. We sang about the love of God, right? 
and, and what it is, and you could write on and on about it. We still try to understand the love of God, and we can't. We could write forever about it and sing forever about it. It's so deep. It's so wide. It's so vast. And yet we are learning, and we need to learn, and we need to continue to grow. And so, too, of mommies at home. That really is the intent of this text. Notice it does not say which kind of husband is to be loved. Learn to love the good husbands. Learn to love the faithful husbands. No, you have to love the unkind husband, and that takes learning. How do you love a foolish husband? And come on, I know, some of them are foolish, right? I mean, sometimes they come home with foolish ideas. You know what we're going to do next? We're going to move so, and we're going to do such and such. Okay, honey, um, can we talk about it? It's It's a silly idea. And you have to learn to love them there and still respect them. You have to learn to do that. That's, that's what God is telling you to do. And to do that, you have to put yourself second. And you think through wisely. How do I communicate? How do I, how do I uphold him in his role as leader and allow him to be respected from my lips and still express things that he needs to learn? That takes some learning, right? Even women that are older have a hard time with that. You know, judging from advice that I hear for young women today, they're told, do what you want to do. And if he doesn't like it, leave him. Right? That's what the advice is today. Ladies, you can become too immersed in the children and the career and their own happiness and not do the things that pleases God and pleases your husband. But mothers are also to learn to love their own children. That's interesting. How does that work? With many women, love wanes over time. That bundle of joy that you first held in your hands starts to get heavy after a while. It starts to not be so appreciative of all of your sacrifices. It can quickly be soured by baby not sleeping, baby constantly demanding, loss of mobility for you and freedom for you. Then later when they grow older, fights between the siblings, sick and tired of that. How many times have I told you two to get along and love each other? Then there's teenage disrespect. No, I will not. What do you do with that? And then there's just the quiet feeling of generally being neglected. Why is there only one day a year where mothers get honored anyways? You might be soured today. Yeah, another Mother's Day. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be hell again. I know how this works. So hopefully, I'll say that to the rest of us. Try to, try to let Mother's Day linger a little longer than one day. All of these difficulties you face, ladies, can be worked for good in your life. I doubt there will be too many things God uses in your life more to sanctify you than motherhood. It will make you more thankful for God's patient parenting of you. Do you agree? It will make you more thankful for your mother. Pick up the phone, call her today, and tell her, Mom, you were right about so many things. I'm so sorry for everything that I did when I was younger. That's what it does for you. In all of this, God has designed mom to learn to die to self, which is essential for love to be learned. God's grace is given for broken hearts, not proud moms who think they have it all together. Learn Christ in your daily interactions in your home. What a great blessing for all involved. And that is why it is a pearl of wisdom. 
Mothering is a battleground for spiritual progress, a training ground for your soul. It is an opportunity for you to become a real woman of God. And it starts with learning Christ-like, selfless love. Pearl number three. A mother's goal is to produce fruit, not leaves. A mother's goal is to produce fruit, not leaves. To this, we're going to turn a little bit backwards to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And I know this is a familiar passage. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, it actually addresses fathers, but it includes the role of the mother as well. Ephesians is preeminently the epistle of heavenly realities. It is uh, the epistle where Paul explains how the church fits into God's overall program. In chapter 5 of Ephesians, right before chapter 6, Paul introduces the need for all believers to be spirit-filled not given over to fleshly pursuits such as drunkenness. Being spirit-filled allows believers to worship well. It allows them to pour out their thanks to God the Father. And it also results in harmonious relationships in the home, husband to wife. By the time we get to chapter 6, it is also about children and their relationship to parents and parents and their relationship to their children. As parents, it's important to think what is our goal? What is a spirit-filled mother and father look like? And then what is their goal? What is your goal as a parent? What are you trying to accomplish? Have you even written it down? Have you thought about it? What is my goal as a parent? Some these days might exclaim if they were asked that, well, I'm just trying to survive, get my kids to turn out all right, get them through school. I use whatever discipline or tactics work. Others might chime in and say, I just want my kids to have a positive self-image, so I give them a lot of feedback and hugs. Others may say, I want to see my kids succeed, be well-educated, be able to stand on their own. Most parents operate day by day with sort of an eclectic approach to child raising. They grab a nugget of truth from this friend, a morsel of sound doctrine from over there. They mix it all together in a salad of parenting, and that's kind of what they're practicing. By the way, they sprinkle in what they learned from their parents growing up. They hope that will be a recipe for success. Too often, parents don't make the spiritual and mental preparations necessary to nail down, what does God want me to accomplish? When this is all over with, and I look back at it, what do I wish I would have done? And, and how do I accomplish it for the benefit of your cherished children? We Christian parents must learn to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, as Jesus said it. We must learn to cherish his teachings if we are to hope to see God's best for our little ones. In God's infinite wisdom, he has made instructions for parents and their task really quite simple, and at the same time, rich in meaning and rich in application. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What the father is told to lead in, the mother is expected to what? Help in, right? So this is for her as well. So what is the Christian objective of raising children? Bring up your children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. The the Christian objective of parenting is not to have happy children. 
although that's nice. It's really nice to have happy kids. The objective is not to have confident children. The objective is not to have healthy children, although we do everything we can to keep them healthy, or hardworking children, or polite children, or self-controlled children. Do you know that all false religions in the world can produce those attributes in their children? Those are the leaves, not the fruit. When the Lord inspected that fig tree, he saw a lot of leaves, but he didn't see what? Fruit. So he cursed it. He told us in the Sermon on the Mount, good trees bring forth what? Good fruit. He wants fruit. He wants to see fruit. The goal in this church when we minister to you is to bear forth fruit. The goal in your home when you're ministering to your children is to bring forth fruit for God. The fruit we want to see is children following the Lord. Amen? Their lives turn toward the Lord. They they don't naturally do that. They, they, They want what they want when they want it for the reasons that they want it. And you've been put there to teach them the ways of the Lord. And that's why you're there. You're to tell them, no, you're not supposed to love yourself first. You're supposed to learn to love God. And you can't just say that. You have to show them that. You have to show them the beauty of obedience. You can't just say, you have to obey God. You have to show them the beauty of obedience. You can't just say, here's the truth, memorize that verse, walk in it. You have to show them the wisdom of walking in that truth, right? Do you remember what John the Apostle wrote in 3 John 4? He said, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children, what? Walking in the truth. That's what you want to hear. Kids grow up, they're walking in the truth. I don't need anything else. That's fine. I'm good. That's good. What makes parenting distinctively Christian is the of the Lord part of that verse. Discipline and instruction can be done by anybody. But it's the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What does that mean? That means that kid, that child, those children are the Lord's. And he gave them to you temporarily. You're managing them. They're his. And he put them in your hands. And your job now is to give them the training that he would give them. Tell them the truths that he would tell them. Show them the way to live that he wants them to live. It's of the Lord. That's what makes it distinctively Christian. Do you see? They're his, and he wants you to train them to live the life that he's calling them to do. That's the whole point of parenting. That's the goal. That's the fruit. That's the objective. Not letting them be trained man's wisdom or Hollywood's values. A few years ago, I was visiting with some of my former students from a Christian school. They were in 2018 and 16 when I was talking with them at that time. As I listened to them... How's things going in your life? You know, what's going on? They talk on and on. Nice conversation. How little they said about the Lord. How unimportant the Lord seemed to be in everything. In fact, they brought it up a couple times. Just wasn't in their life, you know. Been through a Christian school, but... But then I remember their parents. Got to to know a lot of parents as a teacher, you know. (laughs) It's kind of an interesting position being a teacher, you know. Met hundreds and hundreds of parents. Got to know their parents. And I remember these parents. They weren't so into the Bible. They weren't so into talking about the Lord themselves. They weren't so dedicated to the things of Christ. There wasn't that burning passion on their heart. And I remember saying to myself, this is their fruit. This is what they got. They got leaves. They didn't get fruit. See, it's not just a great thing. I grew up, you know, I had seven kids, I got 27 grandkids, 405,000 great-grandkids, you know. 
but how many of them fall in the ways of the Lord? And not that you can guarantee that. I don't want to heap guilt on you if you have a wayward child because you cannot control that entirely yourself. God's elective purposes are with him. But certainly God's main purpose for giving them to you as a Christian parent was that you would have that influence on them. And you still can. You could still pray for them. You could still reach them. We found out, just as a word of hope to those of you that are now, now caused you to despair and you're not liking anything I'm saying, I just want to say to you that we found out that some of our best parenting was done after the age of 18 than before it. And I'm not trying to say we didn't try hard, one, you know, zero to 18. I'm just saying that sometimes they need a degree of a little humility before they learn some of the lessons they need to learn, and they learned them, and it's great. And some of the lessons I learned in life were well beyond 18. I listen to my own mother now much better than I did back in the day. And that might be true of you as well. So there's still hope is my point, right? You're still teaching them, but that's the goal. That's what you want. You don't want a lot of leaves. The goal is to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or the nurture and the admonition of the Lord as the King James Version has it. Parenting goal is to cooperate with God's redemptive purpose in saving your child, renewing his heart, and then sending him out into the world to serve Almighty God with all of his heart. Yes? And to be part of his church as well. One element that is often overlooked in the Christian training of children, and I want to say this to you, and I say this to all of the mothers, and I know some of you are going to hate me for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyways, okay? One very important element, it's kind of next to love and importance according to the fruit of the Spirit, and that is that you exude in your home Christian joy. See, I have a burden that sometimes we're so biblical that we're, what way we define being biblical and, and having biblical devotions and biblical church and biblical this, and, it, and, and we've forgotten that to be biblical, you have to have joy, real joy, not slap happiness, but in your heart, you love knowing Christ. The car got totaled, praise God, he's going to work something out. You didn't get the job you want. Oh, that means God's going to give me the job. The joy remains. The joy remains. So often we hear about, you know, some singer that grew up in a really tight Christian home and now they're going completely the opposite direction. They're as immoral as they possibly can be. They talk about their, their really strict Christian home. I mean, I wasn't in that home. I can't really judge it. But the way they describe it and then the way the parents look and you're putting things together, maybe I'm being unfair. Where's the joy? Why do the kids run out to find the joy? Because they ain't finding joy in the home. It's rules and regs. It's red tape. It's wrapped around their neck. And that's Christianity. Where's the joy? Where's the wings? Where's the happiness of Christianity? You see? Do they see it in your life? If they do, they're going to love Christ. If they don't, they're going to be like, this isn't so great. Maybe, they'll do, maybe you can control their guilty conscience for a while, but eventually, they, where do I find fulfillment in life? Man, I love being a Christian. I'm wacko about being a Christian sometimes. I mean, sometimes I'm down in despair. Sometimes I'm elated. But just to think upon the Lord and to let that be seen by your kids. Be weird in front of them. Sing something in front of them. Embarrass, embarrass them with your singing. You know what I'm saying? Say some praise the Lord out in public. I don't care what it is. Do something out there to let them know God is so great. And he's in everything. Let him see that. It's not good enough to be proper. You've got to be joyful. Okay, so please don't hate me too much. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, Philippians 4, 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brethren, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, rejoice always. 1 Peter 1, 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. You get the point. Pearl of wisdom number four I have no time for. Oh, when you hear what it is, you probably want me to quit. Mothers, tame your tongue. For your tongue speaks God's word. Mothers, tame your tongue. For your tongue speaks God's word. I had a lot to say here. What I'm going to do is read you the few verses from the Proverbs, okay? And I'll let the Holy Spirit work with you on the application on this one, all right? Proverbs 10, 19. When there are many words... Let me pause there to let that sink in. When there are many words. How do you interpret that, Pastor Lee? When you talk too much. Of course, preachers have to be careful of that as well. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Proverbs 29, 20. Do you see a man... Mother, who is hasty in her words, there is more hope for a fool than for him or her. Haste destroys a reflective spirit. You know, mothers, you are forced many times by people to make quick decisions. The kids run up to you and say, we want to do such and such. Can we do such and such? What about such and such? Is he wrong? And then you blurt something out. Don't. Zip it. Ponder. Think. Hmm. I will think on that. It'll drive them nuts. Doesn't matter. (laughs) You let what comes out of your mouth. You don't let them force you to do anything. You ever seen that driver who gets right behind you while you're driving on the highway, you know? And they're thinking they're going to get you to go faster. No, I'm slowing down. (laughs) Then I'll slide on over and let them by because I don't want any conflict, right? When they come up to you and they want you to give an answer right now, it's like, well, well... We'll think about that. Let me think about that. Pray on that a little bit. I'll get back to you tomorrow on it. We'll see how that goes, if at all possible. Restrain your lips, right? Don't be hasty with your words. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Cherish your tongue. Tame it. Train it. And you'll be able to eat the fruit of it. You see? That's the point. Death and life. Proverbs 13, 14, Solomon wisely taught, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life to turn aside from the snares of death. Your words to your children, to your teens, the way you say them, not just what you say, but the way you say it can turn your children even away from death, from a foolish decision that could lead to their death just because you put wisdom in them in a way that they wanted to hear and listen to it. Wise counsel turns a person away from foolish decisions. You say, but I tried. They didn't listen to me. At least you put it in their mind. At least you put the truth in their mind. Maybe when they're at that moment and they're thinking they're going to do that foolish thing, at least you put the truth in their mind. Your word, your tongue worked. God's word came through your tongue to them, to their ears. And now when they're at that moment of making that silly decision, mom is in the head, right? And mom's voice is there and it'll work out. And you know it is. You see all these athletes and they get on TV, right? And they won the Super Bowl or they did something amazing. They sacked somebody and they get on the camera and it's always what? Hi, Mom. Mom is in their head. Mom, you know, Mom, you spend so much time thinking this kid never listens to me. This kid is always listening to you. 
They're rebelling against a lot of things you're saying. But they're listening, they're hearing, they're absorbing. You keep teaching them, but you make sure that your tongue is wise, gentle, and good. You have been equipped with a powerful instrument, powerful instrument, and that's your tongue. Proverbs 15, 28, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Think of that, ponder or pour, which is better? Ponder, right? Just memorize those two things. I'm going to ponder, I'm not going to pour. I'm going to ponder, I'm not going to pour. Just say that to yourself and you'll be much wiser, I promise. Proverbs 18, 13, he who gives an answer before he hears, it's folly and shame to him. Children want to be listened to. Too often, I know I made this mistake as a father, they come running to you, the topic comes up, but rather than really listening to them and asking some follow-up questions and absorbing all their little hearts want to tell you, you're right into your advice. Because, see, you've seen this before and you know all about this and you used to be a kid and you used to be a teenager and you know everything they're going through and then, boom, you give the advice, but, you know, it wasn't exact, that wasn't exactly what they were dealing with. And guess what? You weren't a good listener. You didn't absorb first. You gave an answer before you heard. Hearing takes work. Before, to have a tame tongue, you have to open up your ears. You need to become a better listener. I think that's true of churches where we're trying really hard to be biblical and we really want our children to get Bible into them and we want to just start giving them the Bible that we've memorized and we, we can be so quick to speak Bible, we're not good listeners. You need to understand the Bible tells us as parents, be very, very good listeners. Work hard on that as part of taming the tongue. And then... Um, the last one is Proverbs 16, 23, and 24. The heart of the wise teaches his mouth. I love that. And adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. It doesn't matter that you already know how to explain to your children the gospel or how to obey or this or that. You need to find new, sweeter, wiser ways of saying the same thing. You need to figure that out. You need to change your tone. You need to change your face. You need to change your approach. That's wisdom. You don't just keep trying to hammer down and, you know, ram through the door. There are different ways to talk to your beloved ones. There are different ways to speak to them. Learn. Listen to yourself. Think of other ways of approaching. Listen to other godly women. Talk to the older women about the mistakes they made and how now they want to talk different, differently to their children. Learn from that. Add wisdom and persuasiveness to your lips. Don't just be one track all the time. Well, I gave them the Bible. They didn't listen. That's on them. No, it's not over yet. It's on you still. It's on how you speak to them, how you come across to them. Do you sound like you're always talking down to them? How do you come across to them? Have you even evaluated how you're coming across to them? Do you sound like you're always shaking the finger at them? Figure that out because that matters. How do you speak to someone who's a friend? And then how do you speak to your children? Listen to the different ways. Be taught. Be trained. Change. You can do that. that God, that's what God wants you to do. So there you have it. I hope, ladies, they will adorn your neck and they will provide wisdom uh, for your life in dealing with your children. Let's all stand for our closing benediction now. Father, we pray that you would grant to us wisdom from your word in the application of these great truths. Help us to be strong in our goal and objective of training up children for you. Help us to be controlling of our tongues. Help us, Heavenly Father, to produce fruit and not leaves. 
Help us to always know our example is most important before our children. Lord God, help us to learn to love and bless your people as they go forth this day and bless mothers with joy this day. In Jesus' name we pray it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.